Thanks for tuning in to the Tom Nicola Podcast, the audio version of my written articles. Before we delve into today's article, I want to mention a couple of other things I offer outside of the articles themselves. First, the Nicola Newsletter. Each Thursday, I send out the Nicola Newsletter, which includes two or three of my own articles and a number of other published pieces I've discovered the previous week. My subscribers love the variety of content, which, for the most part, centers on faith, fitness, and fortitude in this increasingly crazy world. Of course, the Nicola newsletter is free. Just go to tomnicola.com slash subscribe. Second, my online personal training services. From weight loss to muscle growth, home gym to big box gym, beginner to advanced exercisers, there's so much that goes into designing an ideal program. That's why I offer a complimentary fitness consultation before we get you started with one of my programs. During your no-obligation consultation, we'll review your goals, health and fitness history, nutrition and lifestyle, and from there we'll decide whether working with me is best for you. If it isn't, I'll help you understand where to go to best meet your needs. If it is, we'll determine which membership option is best for you, and I'll set you up with your workout and nutrition plan. Memberships start out at as little as $49 per month. Someday, you might look back at your decision to book your consultation as one of the best decisions of your life. To book your no-obligation fitness consultation, go to TomNicola.com. All right, on to the article. I broke my neck part four. Our experiences with and insights about the healthcare system. It's been three months since I broke my neck and sustained a spinal cord injury. I was planning to write an open letter to Regent's Hospital about my experience, but after talking it through with Vanessa, decided it wouldn't be the best use of my time or mental energy. Instead, I decided that covering the insights I've gained would add more value to others than outlining the disappointments from the hospital's post-op process. The former would empower others. The latter would only lead to unnecessary complaining. If you don't like reading any further, please just take this point to heart. You should expect a hospital system to fix what's broken, but it's on you as an individual to make yourself whole and well. I couldn't have fixed the mess I made of my neck on July 30th. Only a well-trained surgeon could have done that. But from the day after surgery, going forward, I couldn't expect that the medical system would have the knowledge or experience to help me get back to my previous normal in the shortest time possible. By the way, if you haven't listened to or read parts 1, 2, and 3, I recommend doing that first and then jumping back over to this part 4. A quick rehab and recovery update. At the time of this writing, I'm 13 and a half weeks post-injury. In terms of muscular strength, My chest, triceps, and serratus, used for movements like dips, bench presses, and push-ups, are at about 60% of where they were pre-injury. As for my sensory nerves, when cold water splashes on my lower body, I still feel pain instead of cold, like the water is pushing on a bruise. In my upper body, I feel cold more than pain right now, so it seems the sensory nerves are starting to respond appropriately. I also have frequent burning on the sides and palm of my index and middle fingers, though it's nowhere near the level it once was. If the sensory nerves didn't improve beyond what they have, 
it wouldn't disrupt normal life. And as for my neck itself, most mornings it's pretty stiff. But once I get up, apply some Young Living Cool Azul Pain Relief Cream or other oils, and move around, the stiffness and soreness goes away. The following are some of the milestones from the past few months. Though every spinal cord injury is unique, I thought this might give people in a similar situation a little hope. Early on, I couldn't find any examples of how people recovered from broken necks or spinal cord injuries, so I didn't have anything to compare my progress against. Day one, walked the morning after surgery with a physical therapist by my side in case I fell. I believe it was later that afternoon that I also walked up the stairs at the end of the hall. Day three, was discharged and walked out of the hospital. Day five, stopped taking oxycodone. I had plenty of pills left, but will not take painkillers unless it's absolutely necessary. It wasn't absolutely necessary. Also day five, got my first gym workout in with the help of my friend Victor Straw. At this point, I needed straps to hold on to anything as my hands weren't yet working. Day 15, first push-up after trying to complete, complete one for the previous seven days. Day 39, completed first and second pull-up. Week 5, weaned off gabapentin and extra strength Tylenol completely. Unfortunately, the physician's assistant at Regent Hospital wouldn't discuss weaning off of gabapentin, so we researched how to do it and followed a specific timeline and process. This is not a drug that you stop cold turkey, and you should always do so with the guidance of a medical professional. Week 6. Fractured right hand was considered healed enough to go, go on without a splint. Unfortunately, the fracture wasn't diagnosed until week three when I requested x-rays. It won't heal like it could have, but it'll be good enough to shake your hand. Also week six, stopped using the aspen collar completely. It was causing more discomfort wearing it than it was leaving it off. I also noticed that my right sternocleidomastoid muscle, the one you see on the front and side of your neck, was swelling enough when wearing the collar that it was pressing on my carotid artery. Again, I had asked about weaning, the weaning process with the PA when we saw her in person on week three, but she refused to discuss it. Week eight, did barbell back squats for the first time. I'd been doing leg presses and hack squats up to that point, but this was the first time I put the barbell on my back. Also week eight, stopped taking baby aspirin. The surgeon had me on this to minimize the inflammation from my damaged vertebral artery. Week 11, went for first mountain bike ride. As I explained in I Broke My Neck Part 2, what I'm doing to recover and why, I did a lot more to take responsibility for my recovery than the guidance I got from the medical group. I wasn't willing to wait to recover. I wanted to make my body recover and get on with life. There's a difference between miracles and accomplishments. I landed on top of my head, with my cervical spine taking the full force of my body's momentum after catapulting over my bike's handlebars. Had there been any rotation with that impact, my pre-existing bone spurs would have surely cut the spinal cord. 
I'm certain that the way I landed on my head on July 30th was a miracle. From the moment I stood up from my hospital bed in the morning after, what I would do with that miracle was up to me. Each milestone above, and the dozens more I didn't mention, were accomplishments that I could choose to pursue. Why is this distinction so important? Because if my entire recovery is miraculous, it becomes something reserved only for those who are blessed with such a recovery. Not being completely paralyzed after the crash was a miracle. Everything else required discipline, consistent effort, and a willingness to risk pushing myself beyond what's considered 100% safe. That makes the rest a series of accomplishments. And if they're accomplishments, they're not special. I'm not special. My recovery isn't special. Where I'm at is a product of what I've done, which means that others in similar circumstances can achieve similar outcomes if they're willing to do the work. To be clear, though, going beyond what's considered 100% safe does not mean doing something risky or stupid. It only means that there haven't been enough other people who took a chance to show others that they didn't need to take a passive role in their recovery. Why do I bring this up? Because when someone says my recovery is miraculous, it suggests it's the result of a miracle alone. Or for a non-believer, it suggests that it's the result of fate. I don't see it that way. I believe God protected me from being a quadriplegic and then left the rest of it up to me to work for. I hope that if you get hurt or sick, you see it the same way. Prayer is important, but you also have to get up off your knees and do the work necessary to accomplish what you're praying for. Know who's responsible for what. We've repeatedly been told that the surgeon who performed my surgery, Dr. Mendez, is one of the best, likely the best in our area for spine-related surgeries. While we didn't shop around, I have no, no reason to doubt that. His responsibility was to repair the damage I did when I crashed. That involved removing a couple of discs and bone spurs, coming up with a solution for my fractured facets, and to treat the central cord, cord syndrome that came from the compressed and flattened spinal cord. So, he completed an anterior cervical discectomy and fusion, ACDF, and put me on high-dose Tylenol and gabapentin. The Tylenol was to minimize the inflammation, and the gabapentin was to dull the nerve pain. Following the surgery, the neuroscience team's only responsibility was to make sure my neck and spinal cord heal, and that the installed hardware doesn't fail. They're not responsible for what happens above and below my neck, I am. I know that if I focus too much on protecting my neck, the rest of my body will suffer. Wearing the Aspen collar longer than necessary would cause atrophy in my neck and upper back, which could lead to other spine issues. Avoiding the gym altogether, rather than avoiding only exercises that put my neck at risk, would have made me weaker and fatter, increasing my risk of high blood sugar and cardiovascular problems. It would have also negatively affected my mental health. Not only that, but by remaining as active as possible and resuming resistance training quickly, the hormonal effects of exercise 
help to speed recovery from injuries. That's why strength training is so important when you're injured. I live in my body, so my whole body is important to me, not just the special part that's important to the specialists. Start with the right expectations. There was only one instance since leaving the hospital that Vanessa and I felt frustrated, angry even. It was after meeting with the physician's assistant for our two-week post-op check-in. We expected to meet with someone who was sincerely interested in what we were doing, how I was functioning, and who might share some insights into how others have sped up their recovery process. The appointment was the complete opposite. The PA didn't ask about what we'd been doing. She cut me off when I asked about getting off the gabapentin, saying that I needed to be on it, and when I brought up acupuncture, telling me it was too soon to do it, even though there's published research on acupuncture's impact on spinal cord injury recovery. She didn't do anything more than a few subjective muscle tests, measuring my progress by her subjective standards, not based on my own previous abilities. We left the appointment in awe and anger, as we expected to feel some level of personalized care. In time, though, we realized we'd gone to the appointment with the wrong expectations. We understood that the PA was only there to give us the standardized guidelines and then move along to the next patient. Six weeks later, when we saw her again and had the same experience, we didn't get frustrated because we had the right expectations. Once we understood that the neuroscience team's main interest was in making sure the hardware held together and there was no surgery-related complications, we let go of the hope they'd play an active role in, or even be interested in, my overall recovery. The fact that I was getting back to normal in a fraction of the time wasn't of interest to them, and that's okay. I hope that by sharing all this here on my blog, it'll be useful to those who are interested whether that be a patient or a physician. The medical system might not be as we'd like it to be, but it is as it is. There's no use in getting upset that it isn't what we'd like it to be unless we're going to take on the monumental task of changing it. Changing the sick care system isn't as important to me as empowering people to take charge of their health. Because here's the reality. No matter how good and caring and useful the medical system is, your health and fitness are ultimately your responsibility, no matter what kind of condition you're in today. It's all on you to be stronger and healthier and fitter tomorrow. Thanks again for listening. If you like this content, please leave a rating on the podcast platform you're using and pass it along to others who'd find it helpful. And if you're not already subscribed, be sure to subscribe to the Nicola newsletter, where I share a lot of other content you won't find on my site or podcast. Just go to tomnicola.com slash subscribe. Keep growing your faith, improving your fitness, and building fortitude.